This is Sound and Vision. Earlier this month, KEXP celebrated a holiday we invented called International Clash Day. The Clash stood for a lot of things. As Clash member Joe Strummer once said, we're anti-fascist, we're anti-violence, we're anti-racist, we're pro-creative, we're against ignorance. As part of that celebration, Larry Mizell Jr. chatted with The Clash's videographer Don Lutz about the band's legacy and the culture clash of punk and reggae. Don Letts first became widely known as The Clash's videographer, directing videos for White Riot, London Calling, and Rock the Casbah, just to name a few. He'd also direct videos for the likes of Elvis Costello, The Pretenders, and Musical Youth, among others. He directed the 1978 film The Punk Rock Movie that captured the explosion of London's legendary first class of punk rock bands. In 2003, his documentary The Clash, West Way to the World, won a Grammy for Best Long Form Music Video. As a filmmaker, musician, DJ, and cultural historian, Don is an integral part of not only the story of The Clash, but the cultural meeting place of punk and reggae. Whilst I was hipping them to the bass lines and occasionally the weed, <laughs> they hit me to the whole DIY thing, the do-it-yourself culture. And it was while the punk rock thing exploded and my white mates are kind of picking up guitars, I wanted to pick up something too. And I picked up a Super 8 camera, kind of inspired by seeing this film when I was in my early teens called The Harder They Come, Jamaica's most famous film. and. After seeing that film and with punk rock inspiration, I kind of reinvented myself as Don Letts, the filmmaker. That's how it started. Don Letts managed the boutique Acme Attractions, where members of The Clash, Sex Pistols, even Bob Marley were known to hang. Don described the scene at Acme as a place where the interaction between the different factions became more important than selling merchandise. He pumped dub reggae through the speakers during the day, and at night, as the resident DJ at London's original punk club, The Roxy. There, he was instrumental in introducing the patrons to the sounds of dub and reggae. People like your Joe Strummers, your John Lydons, your Paul Simonons, your Terry Halls, they were hip to that shit long before Don came in on the scene. The people I turned on to reggae back then, in the rock, as a DJ in The Roxy, were all the white people that didn't interact with black people. And back in the late 70s, that was a lot of goddamn white people. <laughs> you know, it's the white people from the suburbs. Yeah. You know, my white mates dug the kind of, you know, Prince Buster and Toots and the Matals. What's interesting in it is I was digging what they were bringing to the party, you know, because around about then, Stones, Beatles, Kinks, Who, Led Zeppelin. And I was one of the braver brothers that would put my hand up and say, you know what, I'm digging this shit too, you know. So the punky reggae thing, it's a reflection of, the duality of my existence, which is Black and British. Don's openness made him a natural compliment to The Clash, whose own curiosity drove them to new sound. In the same way that we had that kind of punky reggae thing going on in the UK, at that moment in time in Bonds and Times Square, the whole of New York really, particularly downtown, there was this punky hip hop thing going on. With, you know, there was a conversation between those two tribes. And out of that came, you know, more creativity. 
And yeah, it was just a, a buzz, especially when the hip hop's, you know, emerging at that time. And the guys were tapping into that, you know, um, as demonstrated on things like Sand and Mister, you know. So yeah, it was great to because wherever they went, they kind of got involved with what was going down. They didn't stand still. They kept growing. I, you know, which much to you know some of the early fans' anger because they wanted them to be that just fast and furious rock and roll thing. But what was great about the Clash is that they remained open to all the world had to offer. You know, you know that, that was their thing, man. Especially if you had a good bass line. Reflected the world and the world's concerns and what the yeah, world was you know, going. Yeah, Joe, that was—I mean, all that, that that thing. Joe wanted just us to remain kind of what is it? Kind of emotionally engaged with the planet and your fellow man. You know. When you hear about the Clash State and you hear about the people talk about that band, the 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 only band that matters, as they say, what what do you think are the essential qualities? ethics, ideas behind that band and behind those people that you knew and that you oh, know. Man. Um, you know, I've often wondered what it is that, you know, that had this continuing legacy that captivates so many, it's particularly the young. But when you strip it down, I mean, the essential ingredients of that band, you know, besides their dynamic stage presence, I mean, they were like four sticks of dynamite, I often say it. But when you strip it down, you know, they look good. They sounded great. Their songs were about something you could relate to. And they had some kick-ass attitude. I mean, and those are the essential ingredients, I guess, still to this day of any young and up-and-coming band, man. You know, it's from where I come from anyway. Right. You know. Yeah, they spoke in the currency of the young, you know. Yeah, they gave voice to these people and wanted, wanted them to realize that kind of, you know, you could – dance and think at the same time it was music for your mind and your feet yeah you know yeah for sure i encourage people to get involved that's what i liked about it you know it kind of joe had this thing where you know it said that everybody's got a part to play you mm. know and he had this thing of making everybody feel like that even though sometimes i'd look at him and say nah this is probably going <laughs> but joe made everybody he had time for everybody like that you know mm. yeah greatly missed Don would also later be a founding member of the group Big Audio Dynamite with The Clash's Mick Jones. He was a songwriter and producer, sourcing samples for their unique blend of sounds. I mean, the whole Big Audio Dynamite thing was what we were into. It was kind of Jamaican bass lines, hip-hop beats that kind of came from New York, mixed rock and roll guitar, and then all the kind of media that we were digging. And we kind of tried to create a new sound by using all those elements. And it weren't bad, was it? Not at all. It was very influential. <laughs> Why don't you play the tune? I don't like music. At the time, it wasn't lost on Don that he was following in the footsteps of one of punk's most celebrated songwriters. Funny enough, you know, doing that stuff with Mick, I always felt in the shadow of Joe Strummer, you know what I mean? Because that was his last writing partner. And that was a trip, you know, those kind of batch combinations don't come along too often. And I always felt Joe breathing down my shoulder. So I had to justify my spot 
Yeah. You, know, you can't just look good, you know, otherwise you're baggage, man. So, I mean, I don't think people realize that I co-wrote 50, 60% of those songs with me. You know, so that's, it wasn't just the sampling thing. I mean, the sampling thing was like flavor, you know, but I quickly realized you don't, you don't get paid for stealing other people's you know, so you had to come up with your own stuff. So yeah, that was really my main contribution. I mean, yeah, E equals MC squared was, was the first lyrics I ever wrote. All told, Don Letts has had a hell of a life. He continues to make films, but now is also an author and a DJ on BBC Radio 6 with his Culture Clash Radio. He's releasing his debut as a solo musician this year with his album, Out of Sync. Now, because of my duality, raised on pop and bass, didn't really bother me, because it's all about the taste. I'm the vinyl generation, and it's how I got my start. Combining clothes and music, and I turn it into art. There's still a shed load of people that see music as a tool for social change. You know, I think I said there's something in the movie, it ain't just about change, it's about changing your mind, not just your goddamn sneakers. And no one will ever miss you if you put it on TikTok. I've just been doing my thing, you dig what I'm saying? And I was like, well, what is it, what is it? And you know what I've come to, the, the conclusion I've come to is that my only discernible talent is having good taste. But apparently in the 21st century, that's some serious currency. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. No, really, I've just been doing my thing, man. I did, there was no master plan of bringing things together. I've just been using culture to communicate, and it's been a two-way thing, you know, all my life. That was Larry Mizell Jr. speaking with Don Letts. And that was Sound and Vision. Before you go, please take just two minutes of your time to rate, review, and subscribe to the Sound and Vision podcast. KEXP is a publicly funded radio station. Listener support makes up the majority of our operating budget. You can help financially support this show by giving a one-time $20 donation at kexp.org slash sound.